0: Our speaker is uh, Dr. Mark Rutland, uh, a a very personal friend of mine and Sharon, and uh, known him uh, a long, long time. As you know, he is uh, just a super, super guy. He was president of Southeastern University. And actually revived the university as his tenure there. Then went from there to Oral Roberts University as president. I remember the day because I was there uh, that Oral Roberts walked out on the stage. And Dr. Rutland knelt. And Oral Roberts placed his hand, what he believed, the hand of anointing on Mark to lead that university. And he did. Of course, he's always been president of Global Ministries. He's also president of of the uh, National Institute of Christian Leadership, has been on every uh, um, just Christian television network, 100 Huntley Street, 700 Club, and I could go on and on and on. uh, And also today uh, travels and speaks there at Jensen Franklin with him and does a wonderful job. But most importantly, He is a friend of Victory Church. I want you to welcome my friend, our friend, Dr. Mark Rutland.
1: Amen. There is a great verse of Scripture which we know applies to Jesus himself. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. But I do want to say to you that Wayne Blackburn has been that kind of friend to me as well. And... I love this church, always fun to be back at Victory, and I love that extravagant introduction. I just wish Allison had been here to hear it. I feel (laughs) it might have helped her to understand how really wonderful I am. (laughs) It's great to be with you today, and and of course, there's almost no Sunday of the year I would rather be with you than at this uh, concluding part of your great missions festival, I love the music here, and I loved that last song, particularly the video that was playing behind. The song was beautiful, the music was gorgeous, but I loved that video that was playing behind. It put us in touch with the worldwide church, the body of Christ, worshiping in unity as we are here, connected us with them. If you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn to Acts chapter 13. If you'll do that, please, I'm going to read. On to the um, 12th verse, 1 through 12, Acts chapter 13. And there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. I'm going to say in passing, Lucius of Cyrene, it is said in church um, tradition, (coughs) excuse me, in church tradition, that uh, he is the son of Simon of Cyrene, who carried Jesus' cross. Excuse me. I'm sorry about that. Since it's the first windmill you ever saw run on water... <clears throat> Lucius of Cyrene and Manaen who was brought up with Herod the tetrarch and Saul that is Saul of Tarsus who was to become Paul the apostle. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted the Holy Ghost said separate me or separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia And from thence they sailed to Cyprus, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John, that is, John Mark, Simon Peter's nephew, who was to subsequently write the the gospel of Mark. And they had John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the sorcerer, for so his name is by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul. Look at verse 9. That's the last time in the New Testament that Paul is called Saul. From that moment on, he is Paul the apostle. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. And he said, O full of subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness. You know, look at that passage. Paul the Apostle was a tough guy. You can say a lot of things to rebuke somebody in love before you say, O full of subtlety, all mischief, child of the devil, enemy of all righteousness. That's a firm way to say it. Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon me, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Put your hands on your Bible, if you will, and let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'd like to pray first in Spanish and then in tree, the language of one of the tribes in West Africa, and then we'll pray in English. Padre glorioso, te damos gracias por tu presencia con nosotros en esta mañana, porque te necesitamos mucho. Necesitamos un palabra de esperanza. Ayúdame, por favor. Lléname con tu Espíritu Santo y úsame a su gloria si es posible. Glorifica tu nombre en este mensaje. Gracias por tu gracia. Gracias por tu amor y especialmente gracias por tu Espíritu Santo. Oñame, me dao así pa. Me dao, un abuille clon clon. Un fe 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 pa. Un me cuan Me dao. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. You are beautiful in your holiness. You guide us through the darkest of nights and from place to place, and you provide. Lord, I thank you for your grace, for the Holy Spirit this morning, and I pray that you will speak to our hearts, And when we leave here today, we will say, surely the Lord hath spoken unto us. Brush aside every barrier to divine communication rush in over the threshold of our souls. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' wonderful name, the strong Son of God, amen. Amen Amen and amen. I uh, was preaching a missions conference like this one. What are you bringing me? Art thou he or shall I wait for another? Thank you. Thank you very much. I have no clue what I was about to say. Yes, I was preaching a missions conference at a small church in South Georgia. And uh, afterward, a man came up to me whose name, this is a true story, was Honest to God Bubba. And he came up and said, I've never been on, he said, I heard you talk about making mission trips. He said, I've never been on a mission trip. And I'd like to uh, go with you on a mission trip. I said, great. I'm going to Peru in a few weeks, a few months. Would you like to go with me? He said, that's great. It turned out, however, that Bubba had not only never been on a mission trip, he had never been out of the county in which he was born. He had never been to Atlanta. Hence, he had never seen an airport or an airplane, never been, that was, it was his life from that moment on was an unbroken chain of nevers. We uh, he knew we were in trouble. I knew we were in trouble when Bubba called me from a payphone. And he said, Dr. Mark, he said, you said to get a a passport. He said, I'm at the Kmart, and they ain't got Nairn. I said, now, Bubba, you can't get a passport at the Kmart. Long silence. And he said, "If if you can't get it at the Kmart, you're in big trouble in Colquitt County. Finally, having obtained his passport from the highly unlikely source of the federal government, Bubba and I plunged off into Peru like Dante and Beatrice. Everything that he saw was new. What does that mean? What's that about? What are they doing there? Why did they ask us to do that? And it was a constant stream of explanation. The thing that intrigued Bubba the most was language. He just couldn't, he loved the sound of it. He couldn't get enough of it. How do you say microphone? How do you say pulpit? What about Bible? How do you say building? It was just on and on. It was really making me crazy. Finally, I just turned him over to our Peruvian director, Carlos Guzman, and I said, Carlos, just answer him. And one day as I came up the steps of the mission compound, I heard uh, Bubba ask Carlos, how do you say hat? And Carlos, with the patience of God, he says sombrero, el sombrero. And Bubba looked up at me and he said, now how do you think they got sombrero out of hat? It was at that precise moment that I realized Bubba had no philosophical concept of language, that he thought everyone basically at some point or another is thinking in English, and these belligerent and rebellious Peruvians have simply decided to devolve into Spanish. One day he said, Dr. Mark, I've been watching these children. And he said, These Peruvian children are the smartest children in the whole world. I said, Well, yeah, I mean, they're smart. I get that, you know, Bubba kids are kids worldwide. He said, No, these are the smartest children in the whole world. I said, Why would you say that? He said, Well, look at them five, six years old, already able to speak Spanish. We were there about a week or 10 days, and we got back up to Lima, and we had one afternoon completely off, and our plane wasn't leaving until the next day, so I said, Bubba, how how would you like to go down to the Plaza de Armas, and there's a beautiful cathedral, ancient cathedral built by Pizarro himself, the Conquistador, and his bones are in there in a glass case. It's something. Would you like to go see the cathedral? Bubba said, oh, he said, I'd like to do He said, I've never seen a cathedral, and I said, no. In Colquitt County, they ain't got naryn. So we went to the cathedral. We hired a guide who could speak English, and he guided us through the great cathedral. I think some of the older people here remember, some years ago, the pope at that time had made a tour of South America. And every cathedral was spiffied up. It was just gleaming. It was beautiful. And we went to the little chapels, the little capillas along the side. And then we, he showed us the, the line of confessional booths and all of those things like that. Then we went down to the main altar, the North Texas, down at the very, end, and suspended in midair on guy wires that were virtually invisible was about an eight-foot statue of the Virgin Mary in a beautiful wedding gown with beads sewn on the gown and spotlights trained to honor, and it was just gleaming in the whole thing. And I said, well, Bubba, what do you think about the cathedral? He put his hands on his hips and narrowed his eyes suspiciously and looked around, and he said, looks Catholic to me. LAUGHTER He's got the Virgin Mary suspended in midair. What do you think? It was First Baptist. <laughs> it was in that moment that I realized that God was blowing the walls out of Bubba's life. That He was taking Bubba into a whole new experience of life and the world. And I believe that that is one of the one of the works and ministries of the Holy Spirit usward. Here is a statement you can write down in your diary. However it is with you, God would not have it so. God has declared himself in unutterable enmity with the status quo. If you are not saved, he wants you saved. If you're saved, he wants you sanctified. If you're sanctified, he wants you called to higher ground. Whatever, however it is with you, God has something more, different, better, other than you have ever known before. Now, what this means is that the entire Christian experience is something of an adventure. I love to preach on missions, and I have spent my life in missions and evangelism and And nowadays, so much of what we talk about in contemporary 21st century missions is kind of sometimes an effort to say it's not the old days, it's not David Livingston, you know, chopping his way through the jungle with a machete and all that, not the old uh, paternalistic missionary with a pith helmet and all that. And I, I understand the motivation of that. But sometimes I'm afraid that in talking about the modern doing missions in the modern technocracy in which we live, that sometimes we convince young people that missions and life and ministry and Christianity are boring. And I just want to say to you, following God with your life in the United States or in missions worldwide is a breathtaking adventure. It's an adventure. There is something in all of us That there is an appetite deep within. Some of us have bludgeoned it into insensibility, but there is within us all something of an appetite for adventure. I can prove it to you. Why do we go to scary movies? Why would we go sit in a dark theater, take our popcorn, our Coke, and sit there and say, come on, scare the liver out of me? Why? It's because it's it's a kind of vicarious adventure. Or here's one. Not how many have seen it on TV. Not how many have watched it. How many have actually done bungee jumping? Will you raise your hand if you've actually done bungee jumping? There's about four or five. Let me just say this to you. My mama didn't raise no fool. (laughs) Climb up on a tall tower. Let a stranger tie a rope around your ankles and pay him to throw you off. Why would we do that? except for the adventure of watching the ground rush up at you and praying to God Almighty that they measured that rope right. (laughs) There is something in us that longs for the adventure, that longs to get right out on the edge. I don't want to run your people off, Pastor, (laughs) but I do want to say this to you. It's not safe for you to be here. It's good, but it's not safe. Every encounter with God Almighty is the possibility of another step in the adventure. Every Sunday morning when you get out of your car and tuck your Bible under your arm and start into this house, there ought to be a lump in your throat. You ought to be saying to yourself, Ooh, anything could happen in there today. Now, here in this passage, Acts chapter 13, we see some remarkable insights into that adventure. Here is this great church, the church at, uh, at Antioch. Dr. M. G. McLuhan says that that church was actually the first mega church in the Mediterranean basin. Thousands of people, this great ministry, doing wonderfully, and this magnificent core of leadership. Listen to these people. Barnabas, who was one of the ascendant luminaries of the Jerusalem Church, the son of encouragement, a, a, a great leader, Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius, the son of the man that carried Jesus' cross, and Manaen, who was raised within the household with Herod, with, and now Saul, who is to become Paul the Apostle. You finally got this great church, this great people, this wonderful staff, everything that just looks perfect, and God says, I'm going to break it all up. Give me the two best ones, and I'm going to send them elsewhere. What this says to me is that God's logic is not our logic. God doesn't view it the way we view it. His, his ideas of things are not the way we can. You're not gonna argue with God, you're not gonna argue God out of his position based on your human logic. I was the pastor of a church, a mega church at one time, and one of my best staff, oh, this guy was so good. He made my life easier and not worse, which is not all that common. It was just a, it was a great guy, so good. It was so helpful to me. And he had an opportunity to go be the pastor of a church, and I, I did not want that. I did everything I could do to talk him down from the ledge. I told him, I thought you were not called to that, all that kind of thing. And then it dawned on me. All my logic was based on my self-interest. I really just didn't want to lose my associate. The fact of the matter is, our, our logic is not God's logic. His mind is so far above our minds. His way of thinking is far, but we, we're not going to be able to always understand it. God's logic is not our logic. Why would he take these two guys, Paul the Apostle, one of the most educated, multilingual geniuses of the New Testament church, and take him to these remote little islands, why not stay at the megachurch where his voice could be heard by the thousands? Why take him off on a mission trip? God's logic is not our logic. The second is God's geography is not our geography. God doesn't think of the world the way you do. You ever hear this phrase, foreign missions? Actually, it's a despicable phrase because foreign missions makes us think that God is an American, that God is here, it's not foreign to God. We tend to project onto God, because we are made in God's image, we tend to think that God is made in our image. So we want to think that God is a white, middle-class, Protestant Republican that lives in Lakeland. (laughs) But the problem is, that's not who God is. That God is the God of the world. Any missionary worth her salt knows that she is not taking God to Africa. God is in Africa waiting for her to arrive. And there's no such thing, really, as foreign missions. Tonight, you do not want to miss tonight. You're going to hear this wonderful young man who's a missionary in Azerbaijan. His story is illogical, and it's non-geographical. For 10 years, he's a missionary in, uh, in Laos, isn't it? Laos. God says, I'm going to move you elsewhere. Think of the logic. Okay, great. 10 years in Laos. Where would I go? Cambodia, Vietnam. Thailand, Myanmar, somewhere in Southeast Asia. He's invested a decade of his life in Southeast Asia. If God's going to move him, surely he'll move him there. Where do you want me to go, God? Azerbaijan, on the other side of the former Soviet Union. This makes no sense to anybody except God. When I first began in uh, missionary evangelism, right at the end of the Civil War, No, it hurts me when you laugh at me. I would uh, leave my home in Atlanta where God lives, fly to New York City where God only occasionally visits, change planes in New York City, fly to Heathrow Airport in London, not only change planes but change airports, go to Gatwick, fly to Murtala-Mohammed Airport in Lagos, fly from Lagos to Kotoka Airport in Accra, get in a truck and go from Accra to Kumasi, spend a couple of days in Kumasi, get in another truck, go to Bogotanga, spend the night in Bogotanga, get in another truck and go to a village, a remote village on the southern edge of the Sahara Desert, so hot that you feel your brain melting, 120 degrees in the shade. At night, in the dark, you just lie there on your cot and sweat. And we have an open air preaching in a little tiny village. There's no electricity, no running water, no indoor plumbing of any kind. We build a little handmade platform, run a string of naked light bulbs over us, and crank up a kerosene generator that's so loud that the kerosene generator that lends the microphone, you have to shout into the microphone to get over the sound of the generator. And the light bulbs over your head draw every insect in West Africa. And we'll crawl down your neck and say, ooh. All the Pentecostals say, whoa, he's under the anointing. <laughs> and you're standing there on that rude little platform with a few hundred people in a remote village on the edge of the desert with, with no electricity. And you, you can't help but think to yourself, Lord, there was not one unsaved person in Atlanta. Not a single heathen in New York City. <laughs> God, I've been to New York City. There's more heathens per capita than any city in the world. I, I know there were people there. What about London? Nobody, nobody in London needed salvation. What about Lagos, the largest black city in the whole world? Not one person that I could minister to in downtown Lagos, or in Accra, or in Kumasi, or in Bolgatanga. And here I am, God preaching on this little handmade platform in this tiny little village, I flew over billions of people to get to a village of a few hundred. And God said, my geography is not your geography. His logic is not our logic. His geography is not our geography. Now, the next thing is this. When we move into his logic when we accept it, when we move into his geography and accept it, only now are we at a place where his supernatural power takes place and his power is not our power. One of the problems, challenges that we face in the Western church is that we really can do it. We can do it. We're not without electricity or indoor plumbing. We really can be pretty successful. We know what we're doing. When, when we move into a place where we are out on the cutting edge, where there is no hope for anything except the miracle, that's where God's supernatural power takes place, where we have to have it. I was speaking at the Assembly of God, Kansas District Assembly, District Assembly, and I told about one time in Ghana when I had a miraculous healing of malaria. I had malaria so bad it was shaking all over. If you've ever had malaria, you feel like somebody's putting an axe in your forehead. It's awful. Your eyes feel like they're going to fall out. shaking all over. And I had to preach in a couple of hours. And some of the brothers came and gathered around my bed and laid hands on me. And I was healed. I mean healed of malaria. And I told that at the Kansas District Assembly. And afterward, there were a couple of old men in the lobby, uh, younger than I am now. And they, you know, Kansas farmers, and the one guy kind of jumped me. You know, you can tell when somebody really doesn't like what you say, and he kind of jumped me. He said, "Well, I heard you tell a story about being healed of malaria." He said, "That's how come this stuff never happens to me? It never happens to me." And what what the implication of that statement is? Maybe it didn't happen to you either. You know, it kind of feels like an accusation. He said, "I never get healed of malaria. Why don't I ever get healed of malaria?" The other guy standing there, he says, I don't know how hard it could be because it's real hard to get malaria in Kansas. <laughs> and that's, that's actually the point, you see. The miracle of striking this sorcerer blind and Sergius Paulus, the Roman governor, being converted to Christ, the miracle of that never would have happened if they'd played it safe and stayed in Antioch. The, when we get out in the edge, when we move past our logic, when we get crucified to that, when we get crucified to our geography, when we get on the trail with Him, when we begin to yield to the adventure, that's where the supernatural power of God can come. We don't, we don't get miracles. God doesn't give us miracles to pile up and hold like poker chips. He gives us miracles when we need miracles, and we need miracles when we get into the place of that adventure, when we get out on the edge. That's what I'm, I'm spending my old age telling young people, come on, follow. Follow Jesus. Serving him in life is the greatest adventure. It makes, it makes a hike through the Amazon look like a Boy Scout trip. Serve Jesus with all you've got. Believe for the adventure. Overcome your sense of logic. Be crucified to your geography. And it unleashes God's supernatural power. I... Uh, remember preaching at an open-air crusade in northern Ghana with several thousand people there it was not in a small village it was in pretty big town had the crusade equipment set up everything and we had a big crowd it was in an open-air car park Nobody sitting down it was all standing everything like that they came to me the staff came to me and said Dr. Mark the the tribal mix here doesn't work We've got about four different tribes. None of them speak English, and none of them speak enough of each other's languages in order to make this work. So they said, we're going to set up four microphones, and then you have a microphone. So whatever you say, somebody will translate it into fra-fra, then somebody else will translate it into dagbani, then somebody else will translate it into konkomba, and then somebody else will translate it into tree. Then you say something else, and we'll start over again. So say it, then this side, this side, this side, this side... Now, can I just tell you something? Five minutes into that, it's not that you don't remember your text. You don't remember your name. <laughs> Furthermore, we had to get all those people in the right place. So the the Frafra comes over here, Frafra interpreter, he takes his microphone and says, okay, everybody that speaks Frafra, if you'll come and sit right here. Come over here and stand right here. Then the guy speaks Doug Bonney. all the Doug Bonney come right here. Come in this place right here. And then this guy says, everybody that speaks Konkomba, come right here to this place. And then the guy says, okay, everybody that speaks tree, all the rest, you come over here on this side. And so the people just seething, moving, pushing past each other, the dust cloud rising like the dogs are fighting, people in the, in the congregation selling popcorn balls. And you just all seething around the dust. And then you have the music, and then you start preaching, and you say, Good evening. I'm happy to be here. I've come to speak to you tonight about the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, someone says it in Kongkongbo, Fra Fra, Dugbani, Tree, back again. It's just going back and forth. It's crazy. Women in the front row nursing their babies, and you're preaching like this, and just, <laughs> uh, just craziness. And you think to yourself, Nothing, nothing can come of this. Nothing can come of this. Why am I here? Give an altar call that is the most uninspiring and apparently lacking in anointing invitation that you've ever given in your life. Well, if if after this disaster, you still want Jesus. (laughs) Come forward. And... And you watch people just stream to the front, weeping, crying. You watch Muslims come forward and lay their Koran and take their hat off and lay it on the altar. And you know that they know when, they, when that young man goes to his father's house that the door will be locked. That his, he said, This is your son, let me in. And the father will say, My son died tonight in public. I have no son. You watch people weeping and claiming God, and you think, God, out of this mess. And then an old man came forward, and he was crying out, talking and talking. And we couldn't. What is he speaking? This language? What about Fra Frafra tree? No, none of these languages. We finally had to find somebody else, and he spoke a language from way in the northeast of Ghana. And I said, What is he saying? He's saying that 60 years ago, when he was a small, small boy, a man came from England. To the village where his father was the chief and he preached about Jesus and the imam in that village told the chief beat the man up and throw him out so they had him beaten and threw him out a few days later he recovered from the beating and came back to preach again and beaten a second time and thrown out the third time he came back he said they beat that old man so badly that he finally had to go home to England but he said for 60 years for 60 years the name Jesus has haunted me and he said, when I was walking by on the street, I heard someone call out to me, come inside, and you'll meet the Jesus you've wondered about. I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I was speaking English. Ask him if he can speak English. No. Does he speak Dagbani? No. Does he speak Frafra? No. Does he speak Konkomba? No. Does he speak Tree? No. He said, someone spoke to me in my language. Turn in here, and you will meet Jesus. Out of everything that we do, illogical, non-geographical, at the end of the road, there's the miraculous power of God. You know, that's the reason, really, that, frankly, a missions conference like this is, to a certain extent, misnamed. It is a missions conference, but it's really... Something other than that, different, more than that. It's really an obedience conference. Whatsoever the Lord saith unto thee, do it. That's where the adventure comes. That's why a faith promise card is the key that unlocks some adventure. This is, if you can figure this out, if you know, I can can spare this, I can spare that. It's like tithing. I heard the pastor teach on tithing. I believe in tithing. My wife and I practice tithing. I believe in it. But I don't know who counts the offerings here, but you ever get these checks that say $213.17? What's up with that? 17. You know what that is? That's somebody that took their paycheck and a calculator and times .10. That's it. God, here's your tithe and not one penny more. Come on, round it up. But then beyond the tithe, beyond the tithe, that's not part of the adventure. The adventure is when you take that risky move to move further out. That's when, when the Lord says, What you had decided to put on the faith promise card, that's not where I want you to go. I want you to step out here. That's where the adventure comes. We were young, just getting started. Our kids were, our, our son now is a pastor, our daughter's a missionary, but our kids were just little. And I was on the road as a missionary evangelist. I remember that year I made the wonderful salary from Global Servants, $7,500. And we lived in a house that they provided for us, a small house. We attended a Methodist church. Their mission's Faith Promise Sunday. I made the faith promise of $1,000. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Over and above our tithe, $7,500. And I made a $1,000 faith promise pledge. We made it. Every time up to the very end, we were two days from paying that faith promise card off, $100 short. I had made $900 payments on that faith promise, we were $100 short. The kids and Allison and I were sitting in the McDonald's. It was Friday. I said, Sunday, we we're supposed to turn in. I said, Daddy does not have the $100 for the faith promise card. I, I We got close, kids. We got close. And Travis, who was 12, I don't I don't know if any of you all raised a smart aleck. Um, But, you know, it's it's a mixed blessing. And Travis says, Dad, did God supply the other $900? I said, yes, he did, Travis. I'm just saying there's only two days. He said, God is still God, Daddy. God is still God. I said, well, I'm the minister. Be lectured by a 12-year-old. We were sitting there talking about it, and a man I never knew, never saw before, never seen since, he came over. He said, I couldn't help hearing. He peeled off a $100 bill, laid it on the table. He said, there's the last 100 for your missions offering, and he walked out of the McDonald's, and I learned a great lesson. Always talk loud in the McDonald's. <laughs> Stretch yourself. Get in the adventure. Don't play it safe. Don't play it cozy. Don't just do what you can afford. Step out further. Whatsoever He saith unto thee, do it. Well, let me close with this. Thank you. She was excited about that announcement. I refuse to be dissuaded. I shall finish. I uh, we had a great work in Peru. We had um, about 18 churches in the jungle. We had churches, Spanish-speaking churches down the coast, but over in the jungle, we had Indian churches, and we had a mission uh, compound at Puerto Bermudas, a small town on the edge of the jungle. I used the word town uh, loosely. It was a collection of wooden shacks. had a little runway that was about a little wider than the aisle of this church right here, and it was just a dirt runway down through the middle of these shacks and kids would play on it and they'd graze the sheep on it and that kind of thing. When somebody wanted to land, they would just come down. Some private plane wanted to come. They'd buzz the airway like this and everybody would scatter and then they'd circle around and land. And it was just that. One night we were at the mission house when an Indian showed up and he did not speak Quechua and he did not speak Spanish. And we had to go to town and find somebody that could speak his language he was from deep in the jungle in the forest. And he told us through this interpreter that the chief in their village was sick. And he had heard, they had heard in the village that there were missionaries at Puerto Bermudas with medicine. And would we come and treat the chief? Well, we prayed about it and we thought it through and wanted to go. It was, it was a mixed thing. On the one hand, if we went, it was a great opportunity. If the chief got healed, then there was a great open door for the, for the gospel. And maybe that village and maybe villages around there would turn to the Lord if the chief got healed you see where this is headed right what if the chief dies I give him medicine and the chief dies maybe they decide that cutting my head off and pouring my blood in the river is the way to pacify the spirit of sickness it felt like a risk to us but we prayed and we felt it was time to go and so I said to Carlos we'll leave him we spread a map out tried to get this Indian to show he'd never seen a map could not make hide nor hair of it he had no clue. He just was just squiggly lines on a piece of paper. He couldn't even figure out what we were saying. But he described to us where the village was, and we knew it was deep in the forest. So I sent Carlos to get uh, petrol and some uh, tens, cans of tuna fish. Uh, the tuna fish, the Indians spend so much of their life and energy trying to get fish out of the river to just pop a buoy knife in the lid of a can and bring out fresh, clean tuna fish. is just a miracle to them. So we carry a, a, a burlap bag full of kins of tuna fish around with us and hand them out. The book of Proverbs says a man's gift will bring you before kings. So we'd just give those as welcome gifts, and it often paved the way for us. So I told Carlos, go get the tuna fish and the petrol, uh, the gasoline for the motor. So the next morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, still dark, we went down to the riverbank, and the canoe we get in is about as long as for me to pass through there on the front row. Single file, dugout canoe got um, an Evanrude motor on the back with a, a, an extended shaft that's on a loose thing like this so that if it hits something in the bottom of the river, it'll, it'll pop up and not snap off your prop blades. So we all get in the canoe, uh, take a piece of bamboo, it's about this wide, and you jam it down between the gunnels like this, and then cross your ankles and kneel in the bottom of the canoe and perch your rear end over that bamboo rod. And I, I will say to you, about an hour upriver... You are uh, in touch with your anatomy in an entirely new way. And we got it, got going. We're going upriver, and it began to rain. You have not seen rain until you've seen rain in a tropical rainforest. I mean, just sheets raining. We're all, everybody in the canoe, bailing with coffee cans, just trying to get, keep the canoe from sinking. And then the rain stopped, and the sun came out. And it came out with a vengeance. It was like the sun was angry over the rain. And just penetrating sun. It's a remarkable experience to watch steam rise off your own body. We went 12 hours upriver. That little Indian perched on the end of our canoe for 12 hours. And he would say, this way, that way. We went up the Rio Peaches and off onto the Ucayali and then onto tributaries and deeper. We went so deep into the forest, we weren't sure anymore what country we were in. And Finally the word came back through the canoe. We're nearly there and we turned into a little tributary Just a little wider than the center aisle and when we turned in along the bank We could see Indians with bows and arrows and they had war paint and I said the only two Americans in the boat everybody else was Peruvian the other American dr. Joel Kaling He teaches anthropology at Lee University. If you don't believe this story out of my mouth called Dr. Kaling, Lee University. We're in the canoe. I said to Carlos, Carlos, get that tuna fish ready. The minute the canoe touches the bank, start handing out the tuna fish. And he said, oh, the tuna fish. (laughs) I said, what? Oh, the tuna fish. I don't want to hear, oh, the tuna fish. He said, Dr. Moore, please don't be angry at me. He said, I- I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but he said it was early. I was sleepy. I got the petrol for the motor. I forgot the tuna fish. Don't be angry. I said, don't be angry. You may have gotten us killed. These boys are wearing paint. Look at those bows and arrows. He said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was angry. Now it's awkward. Everybody in the canoes kind of hunkered down. It's obvious that the missionary hath a demon. So I was embarrassed, and I felt it was time to say something religious. And I said, well, we'll just have to trust God, (laughs) you know, when all else fails. Try to bring him into it. God is my witness. We did not go up that little creek as far as from here to that door right there when a huge river cat, a huge fish, Jumped out of the river and landed in the bottom of the canoe right in front of Dr. Kaling. Carlos turned around and looked at me. And God God spoke to me. God spoke to me in that boat. And he said, What's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? I made this jungle, I made these Indians. I made this river and the fish leap at my command I'm not asking you to do miracles I do the miracles he said all I'm asking you to do is keep the boat upriver I do all the rest when we get into the stream of God's adventure we step into the possibility of God's miraculous providence When we got back from Peru, I said to Bubba, Bubba, what did you learn? (laughs) I thought he'd have some, you know, great educational benefit. He said, I've been thinking about that, Brother Mark. He said, and this is what I've decided. Not everybody in the world speaks English. (laughs) Thank God we could get over that hurdle. Here's what I would say to you. Not everybody in the world speaks English. Not everybody's high and dry. Not everybody is wealthy. Not everybody is prosperous. Not everybody is well. There are great needs, great opportunities, great open doors for the gospel. And God's logic isn't our logic. God's geography isn't our geography. And our power is nothing compared to his supernatural grace. When it comes to that faith promise this morning, Don't play it safe. Launch out into the deep and believe God for a miracle. God bless you and God bless Victory Church.
0: Unbelievable, isn't it? I thought it was. So the message um, is a message from the Lord, and <clears throat> the faith promise cards, you have had ample opportunity to, to get them. We handed them out last week. I sent you a letter. They are in the letter. They're in the pew back in front of you now, so you can't escape that. I guess what you have to do now is try to discern um, the sacrifice that God's calling you you, to make. I think you have to determine, uh, do I want status quo? Do I want to live a life of adventure? While he was preaching, I thought about David Maines thought about all the stories that he's told about magnificent things that he did and he must have literally ran his board of directors crazy he was always coming up with something that would cause them to say how in the world are we ever going to do that but once he believed it there was no turning back it was all in that's the kind of person i want to be i thought about uh The scripture when he says play it safe i remembered the uh, talents the five the two the one and in the message version you know the one with five reproduced and doubled and the one with two doubled but but that one that had the one he still had his i'll use this term his thousand and god was displeased and this is what the message version says about him. Try, try to on for size. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. So take it out of the hand of that guy who had it, tried to secure it, tried to preserve it, tried to hold on to it, and give it to the one who stepped way out and risked the most. And then this is what I want you to do to him. And get rid of this, play it safe. Get rid of this, play it safe, who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. Throw him out. You see, we all want the miracles. We all read Hebrews 11. We all love the miracles. But very few are willing to make the kind of sacrifice. Victory needs Victory Church, because of what God has planned for you and us together, we have to get off the play it safe and get out there where it's dangerous, where there is more challenge than we could ever imagine. I preached missions conference for Dan Betzer Friday night. I was in Jacksonville a couple weeks ago. And I thought about the Cain and Abel illustration You know them, the sons of Adam and Eve. If you read, um, I think, the fourth chapter of Genesis there, what you're going to see is the first offering since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. And here's what the Bible said about Cain. That when the impact of receiving the offering, it says this, Cain in Scripture, in the course of time, another phrase, in due time. In other words, it wasn't his heart, it was like, okay, it's something I know I'm supposed to do, so in due time, I'm going to do it. And then the Bible says that he gathered, he was a person of the land, he gathered what he had in his hand, what was available to him, and he he gave that. And the unique thing about it, number one, he did give, but he didn't give when it was the right time, just he chose the time. And he didn't give his best. He just gathered, let me get a few things here. And here's what the Bible says, that God rejected Cain's offering. I mean, can you imagine? He rejected Cain's offering. But Abel, who lived a short life because of Cain, because Cain killed Abel. The Bible says that when Abel gave, He gave the best that he had. Thought about it. Gave it when it was required and took the best of his flock and gave it. said, here, God. And in Hebrews 11, verse 4, it says, And God spoke well of Abel's offering. I thought about that, and he said, "His offering still speaks today. Even today, Abel's offering still speaks." So here's what I came away with: I'm been a giver all of my life, sacrifice by the grace of God. But listen, I want God to speak well of my offering. I want my offering to speak to my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I don't want God to reject. Yeah, Wayne, you, you gave what you could. You took your little calculator out, and, and that's what you did. So you just put a little salve on that. All of us love the adventure, as Dr. Mark said. In Victory Church, we love adventure. We love stepping way out there, and we've done it over and over and over again. And this is another one of those times. So if you came in with your faith promise card already completed, you might want to take a look and say, God, is, if I give this, will you speak well of this? Is this faith? Is this sacrifice? Is this offering going to speak well? God, is that what you're pleased with? When we do that, you will step out into territory. Your family has never been before. You'll step into territory that only God will have the hand that will save you. But he will not let you down. So, would you take your faith promise card and look at it? It starts January 1st and ends in December, end of December of 2018. And some of you have the faith promise. You're going to put, this is what I'm going to do monthly and this is the amount that we're going to give. And over here, you're going to give the cash offering. And that's what we need. You may say, I want to give my first month's installment right here as a cash offering. Don't forget the cash offering. And you put, the, you put, put that information down, your name and signature. This is faith promise. Not a, it's not a pledge. Pledge is what you can do. Faith promise is whatever God can do through you. And that's what I'm asking you to do. It's whatever God can do through you. So I'm going to bow our heads for a moment. And uh, the cash offering, we're looking either today or come in by December the 10th. December the 10th on the cash offering. Just not do your best. Whatever you do, do it so that you can say, God, I don't know there's any way that I'm going to be able to make it. And then what you may want to do if you reach way out there and you come up and you realize, I'm not quite there, just go to McDonald's, okay? Sit there and talk loudly. See what God will do. Let me pray. Father, we cannot get enough of you. You did not call us to a life of security. That's what culture calls us to. You didn't call us to a life of faithlessness. That's what culture calls us to. You didn't call us to a life of comfort. That's what culture does. You called us to a life of fierce boldness. God, I pray even for the young people who may say they don't have an income. The reality is they would not survive had not some benefit come their way. Let them in their young lives as teenagers Make some kind of faith promise and let them see at this stage in their life how God will provide it. And he will. And their life will be the one that's enhanced with the miraculous. We ask you to divinely speak to us. And may your name be praised. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Proverbs eleven twenty four. 24 says, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. And it seems to me what he's saying, that as we honor God, God says, as you become the conduit, a life of poverty will escape you. And a life of benefit and blessing will rest on you. That's what I want. So would you stand as we sing? We're going to ask you to bring these forward. Place them on the altar. And then you're certainly welcome to be dismissed. Don't miss tonight. But everybody, please come. You young people, don't forget this card. Bring it down, place it on the altar. and Ask God, God, if if I'm putting it here, and if I make it, it'll be because of you. So let's lay it on the altar as a sacrifice to him. God bless you, everybody. Thank you for being here. Slip down here as we receive them.